0: Welcome to Back in Control
1: Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hi, David. Uh, I understand we have uh, Dr. Mark Moisey in the studio with us today. We do. Thanks, Tom, and appreciate um, you hosting the show here. My guest today is Dr. Mark Moisey, who we did a podcast with last week. He is the Chief of Neurosurgery at Detroit Receiving Hospital. He's a special guest for me because I know him extremely well. He is one of my former fellows who I think started around 2013, 2014. And he's one of our most competent fellows. We've trained in many, many areas, both in operatively, operatively, patient care, teaching. It's been a remarkable experience watching Mark um, evolve as a surgeon. But right now he's a very responsible physician teaching 14 residents a year at Detroit Receiving Hospital. He became Chief of Neurosurgery after only two years of being in, actually sooner, of right his fellowship became Chief of Neurosurgery. But he does a great job and I'd like to welcome Mark, I'd like to, welcome Mark to our show. Welcome, Mark.
0: Thank you, uh, David. I, I really appreciate you having me on the show again.
1: What I'd like to talk about is again, is so much that we could talk for days on everything that you've been through and some of the evolution. But it's been really a lot of fun for me. I went through, as you know, rather severe burnout for 15 solid years. And I've mixed feelings about that process. But I will say one of the benefits of the misery was that I did learn about chronic pain. I'm able to share it with the world. But I also learned about surgical performance and how you can apply athletic performance principles to surgery. And you were one of the earlier adopters of that mindset. And I'd like to just to, if you could spend a little bit of time explaining what maybe just a general average neurosurgical, actually surgical medical training is compared to what you experienced, um, you know, being exposed to a more nurturing environment.
0: Absolutely. And, um, I, you know, this is, this is a topic where I think hopefully there'll be a complete 180 in healthcare in the training of all, all residents, not just surgical residents. But, you know, as as we grew up in medical school, uh, you know, once you decided to go into surgical subspecialties, you know, you, you were the ones that were considered to be the tough people, the ones that always wanted to pursue, um, you know, work the long hours, you know, forget about having a family, forget about having a life, and then just, you know, go, you know, all no holds barred you know working many many hours a week and to a point you know you could understand that repetition does lead to excellence but there are many ways of doing that and the most important thing that your patient could ask for you is for you to be healthy in order to provide them with the given care that they are they need and request Now, that being said, when you approach a surgical residency, when you're working those long hours and you're working towards perfection, sometimes you forget about your basic life needs like sleep, exercise, and eating. And it's almost, you know, I remember when I was a sub-intern, you know, the mantra was eat when you can, sleep when you can, you know, go to the bathroom when you can. and is as fun as that is for the first, you know, two months. That takes a big toll on your life, and I think the more you realize the humanistic approach, both in the training as well as towards your patients, the more uh, the the better everyone will do in the long run.
1: Yeah, there's a study done out of Philadelphia where they administer was called minister was called the Jefferson Compassion Index to students applying for medical school and then they retook the test the third year medical school there's a third year medical school that the compassion index just plummeted because it's just long hard hours and you go into survival mode as opposed to having fun the other thing about medicine in general is that it is a very critical perfectionistic culture which on the surface seems like a good idea but they've also shown in the business world that people actually thrive better in a nurturing environment as opposed to a critical environment. In medicine is a critical environment, particularly in surgery, especially in neurosurgery and especially in spine surgery. And so I'm assuming that was your experience the few years before you came to our program.
0: Absolutely. You know, the more critical, the better it seemed that the teachers felt at times about themselves. And instead of taking into consideration the outcomes, both of the patient as well as of the uh, uh, of the student, they were more uh, they were more uh, fixated on the previous culture of how they were taught. And I think if we could do a complete shift in our teaching of our residents, I think the outcomes of uh, how they treat patients will um, will just be a lot more superior than just the beatdown factor. When you're taught for success rather than being taught for failure, people end up doing better. And what I mean for that is, you know, as you said, we're all perfectionists. Anyone in healthcare. And anyone, you know, and that's not just true for healthcare. That's true for hopefully for most human beings. They want to get the best outcomes of whatever they're doing. And when you're a perfectionist, making a mistake takes a huge toll on you. Right. And when that toll, instead of beating it into you that you made a mistake, you made a mistake, rather than saying okay you made a mistake let's learn from that mistake and how to better yourself so you don't make that mistake in the future that's a completely different dynamic than saying hey remember on january 13 2014 you did x y and z and it led to this right. rather than saying on january fourteenth, 2000 you know 13 or 14 you say hey you know you made this mistake how could you be make sure that this mistake does not happen again on January fourteenth, two thousand fifteen, and not to let it, you know, put a, t- a toll on your your intellect, on your psyche, but just saying, hey, let's let's teach this, let's let you learn from this moment on how to improve yourself. And it doesn't have to be. Oh, sorry to interrupt. I was just going to say it doesn't have to be just my mistake. It could be my teacher's mistake in saying, you know, I made this mistake in the past. How could I? Teach this to you so you don't make that mistake in the future and to avoid making that mistake at all.
1: Right. Of course, as you know, most fellows for the first six weeks that they trained with me actually did not like it very much, right? <laughs> you remember those days, Mark?
0: No, I don't. I kind of <laughs> blocked
1: those out. <laughs> no, what would happen? I read a book called The Talent Code, which many of you have heard of, um, Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 Hours. The genius occurs after 10 hours of very deep repetition. And the guy named Dan Coyle took that to the neuroscience world and it's 10,000 hours of specific repetition that, that creates genius. And what I, after I read that book, I changed my training that every fellow that walked into my program, I'd started from day one like they never held a knife before. And of course they were highly insulted. But what would happen after about six weeks, we would know why we made every move, every time, certain direction, and I call it the safety zone, which is safe visualization. You knew the anatomy, all the moves were made in a safe manner and with a light touch. And by staying in the safe zone, the complication rate would drop down 80% easily. And what would happen, you had a target to shoot at. So if you had him, there's always, there's a bit of a mantra in surgery that complications happen. but well, they don't just happen, they always happen for a reason. And Mark has been a strong proponent and one of the people that helped evolve this process is that in 2006, I engaged my own, well, it was my son and best son's friend who are national level mogul skiers were being coached by my golf coach and performance coaching. And I learned what they were doing. I said, wait a second, surgery performance. Long story short, I, had, I hired David Alamey as my surgical performance coach, basically applying athletic performance principles to surgery. And I was coached very hard for about 18 months with a dramatic decrease in my complication rate, also a large increase in just my enjoyment of what I was doing. And it starts from the very basic with every move, every time without exception and completely changes the paradigm of how I did surgery. Mark, you want to describe that paradigm shift from your perspective as you came into this program with this surgeon who let you even hold a knife to start? Yeah, you
0: know, it's, you know, when you're, you're taught in a certain fashion, as we, we mentioned at the beginning of this talk, you know, you, you just want to progress. You're, you're, you know, you want to just say, Hey, you know, I've done X, Y, Z in my past. I'm already, you know, ready to move on to the next step, you know? Um, But to have someone reach back and say, hold on, start from the basics, start from you know, you got to learn how to crawl before you learn how to walk. So in order to be able to run that marathon and be able to complete a spine surgery, you need to start with the skin incision. And you're like, yeah, hey, yeah, 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 I know how to do that. Next, next step. And, you know, as you're going through it, it's, it, it is a little bit demeaning, as you mentioned, but the whole point of me joining your program was to learn from you and i had to put my full trust in you and then looking back at those first 6 weeks i realized there's there's truly a method for success in that you know is you know what described in, in the talent code they were looking at concert pianists you know they they said as they were learning to, to play a, a, any sort of uh, sonata you know or any piece if they made a mistake on the third note, they were starting all over again. Right. And, you know, that's no different than surgery. You can't always start all over again, but that's why you need to start your moves from your first move. It is, in a way, a concert between two surgeons to complete a surgery. You should not be able to tell who's making one move. It should not be one person starts and another person finishes. It's just an, you know, it's a, an orchestra between their hands as they complete the operation.
1: Right. Could you, could you describe the performance model briefly?
0: Sure. So, what one of the greatest things uh, about the program was that it did not end in the operating room. Surgery was not just the technical skills that you taught us. It was also a mental state. And... Uh, as a fellow there, we were hired a performance coach. His name was David Elaney. He's a golf coach for the University of Women's um, golf team. And he helped them win national championships. And the main, if we could bring it down to one formula, and the formula that you taught us from day one is performance is skill minus interference. And the more you, you brought yourself down to, to dissecting that formula, your skill was more equal to your performance. And that's what every surgeon wanted.
1: Right. Well, what, we, what I finally found out myself is that the basic interferences were being anxious, frustrated, rushed, distracted, or too complacent. And before I went through the process myself, I didn't recognize any of those interferences. I just would simply watch moves and do them I couldn't figure out why I would make mistakes here and there. Retrospect, I know really clearly why I made the mistakes, but becoming aware of the interference was the first step. Then after I read the talent code, it completely changed my training again, because again, performance equals skill minus interference. And the skills come with very specific repetitions of the right moves. And you've heard the saying that, um, was it perfect performances from perfect repetitions? How does that go, Mark? I mean, you can't just, you just can't do repetitions to expect a good outcome. You have to have good repetitions that are very detailed to come out with a good performance. So the goal is consistency of performance is the whole goal. And it turns out, you know, surgeries are tremendous stress and, all, and so a lot of interferences in surgery. So when you're anxious or frustrated, is two examples, you just don't perform as well. But becoming aware of those interferences then you can sort of drop your shoulders, take a deep breath and then move forward forward in a beautiful manner. And uh, it really helps to consistency of your performance, but also had a pretty big impact on your personal life too, right?
0: Absolutely. When, when you're happy and you want to be at work, your personal life is a lot more successful as well. You know, if, if you're miserable when you go into work, you're going to be miserable when you leave work and you're going to be miserable at home. So what kind of life is that to live? Right. You know, everyone, you know, that you're surrounded by, whether it's your your family, your colleagues, your friends, or even your patients could see a
1: difference. Right. There are processes called mirror neurons. I mean, if you're actually excited about seeing your next patient, regardless of the condition, the patient, people respond. If you're happy, people around you respond, then you develop a whole healing, healing relationship that makes a huge difference. This is, In my experience, I mean, I, my mantra, personal identity was taken on an incredible amount of stress. That's why I became a major spine surgeon, but it eventually broke me down. I actually have much more stress in my plate now than when I actually broke. Can you briefly describe how you process stress now compared to before you came to the program?
0: Absolutely. Well, I, I would say before I came to the program, um, I don't think I actually processed stress. I, what I did was I had stress, I dealt with it, and then I moved on to my next stress. Now I actually have an active way of processing it. You know, I dissect it down to its most uh, tiniest fraction and to figure out what is the stress. You know, for instance, in a, a, you know, a, a mantra that we've always gone through in surgery, if you're feeling a little anxious that something isn't going right, stop. Figure out what is the problem. What is the actual problem that's causing you that anxiety and that stress? And the key to that is being able to recognize it before it blows up. For instance, Mm -hmm. if, if I can't see something when I'm operating, why can't I see? Is my microscope in the wrong direction? Are the retractors in the wrong place? Do I not have enough of a dissection? So if you step back for a second, you know, instead of being hyper-focused, you look at the big picture, you resolve that, your stress is gone. No different than anything else we could do in life.
1: Well, a big factor that I had in my own evolution of this whole process, and again, I've gone through the same process that Mark went through, I've been really excited about being able to pass it along, is that one day I was thinking, well, wait a second, okay, I'm at work, and then I go home, I consider that play, but really it's an artificial de- destination of work versus play. And I started to just take an attitude of play, which means curiosity, gratitude, wonderment, awareness to work. And it completely changed the way I enjoyed work. And as you know, in our clinic, Mark, why you just get actually a bit rowdy out there as far as just having a good time. But just making a choice to have a really good time at work made a huge, huge difference in my energy levels. I'll come out of clinic absolutely energized by my patients. Um, I like my, I just was good. And one of our goals that my partners and I decided early on, maybe eight years ago, is that we wanted to provide provide an environment for our fellows and residents that was fun. And I think we succeeded at that pretty well. Can you describe the difference between your historic world of being pretty much criticized most of the time versus actually having a good time about your capacity to learn? Because in medicine, like you said before, there's a tendency to say, well, the more you criticize, the more you're gonna learn. We actually know from the business world research that that actually isn't true. But in medicine, that's held up as a mantra is that the more you're criticized and more critical we are of our fellows and residents, somehow we're gonna teach them differently. So instead of teaching them what to do, we're always teaching them what not to do.
0: Uh, I completely agree. And I think one of the differences I saw as being first a resident, and then a fellow, When I was a resident, I couldn't wait for a day off. When I was a fellow, I couldn't wait to be at work. Because if you're having fun while learning, you're going back to your natural instincts of releasing those endorphins and actually enjoying what you're doing. I actually felt like I didn't need vacation because work was a vacation because I was having so much fun. Um, Not to say that you shouldn't take time off and. Reserve that time for yourself, but if if you're able to create an environment of fun your entire life, think about how much more enjoyable and how much more you'll learn.
1: Right, and it really is. I'm not sure if the listening audience understands how big of a difference this is, but I mean, in medicines, we're tend to be a perfectionistic self-critical culture. Anyway, we criticize ourselves, we're criticized by our mentors. We somehow think that's the way it's supposed to be. And it's really a huge, huge paradigm shift. What's fascinating, again, from a just a purely physiology standpoint, that we know when you're under stress, full of adrenaline and cortisol, it actually decreases the blood supply to the frontal frontal lobe of your brain, and you don't think as well. And when you're relaxed and able just to be there, you're just able to focus more easily. And so even from a physiological standpoint, it makes way more sense to relax and have a good time. Plus, you're spending you know, 60, 80 hours a week at the hospital, sometimes more. Why not enjoy it? I'm curious if, if um, how much success you've been able to have there in Detroit as far as bringing some of those concepts into your program.
0: So I, I think that's a, a great question. And one of the things that we're lucky about now is, at least for neurosurgery, they're trying to create programs for wellness and physician wellness. I think we've seen too many disasters in our past. You know, as if you read the newspapers and um, you, know, you see physician burnout is at an all-time high, especially in the surgical subspecialties. And physician suicide is a horrible problem. Um, you know, with working with you and uh, another physician in Michigan, his name's Dr. Anthony Avellino, we've realized that physician burnout is not something to to really put aside. And we need to really incorporate that in the teaching of our residents before they get to that point of no return. Now, for us, I, I really try to incorporate the same mantra that you had at Swedish for your fellows for our residents. You know, there, there's a difference between having fun and being serious and getting the job done versus always feeling like you're being, you've got a target on your back and not being able to, to actually enjoy your time. And when I work with residents, I want them to have fun. I want them to understand the anatomy and be able to do the operation, but the way they do it is through an enjoyment process rather than a critical process. Now, criticism doesn't always have to be in a negative way. I right. remember the two of us were operating a week or two before I was going to graduate fellowship, and you made a comment on a wrong move I made. And you said, the minute I stop criticizing is the minute I stop caring for you uh, becoming a better physician.
1: True. Well, I have some fellows, honestly, that aren't teachable or they won't listen or whatever it is. And I mean, as you know, I try almost indefinitely. I never completely give up, but there's a certain point where it doesn't work anymore. Um, yeah, no, no. If I, I watch, you know, I'm the attending, and even though my fellows are doing a significant part of the case, I'm responsible for every move every second. And then what I find, uh, this is, you already know the story, is that a lot of times at the end of the year, my fellows are actually operating the same level, and, and I, as I am, or sometimes even better. And I still remember the operation where you guys had done a beautiful unilateral decompression, bilateral decompression. And I came in to, you know, check things out. And of course, I, I was one that got the neural tear, right? <laughs> I, know, I know you remember that. So. Yeah.
0: But, you know, at the same time, you know, it's one of the things that you taught me, and this is what I try to bring to, to my residents as well. The one thing you taught me is when you're in that room even though one is more experienced than the other and one is teaching the other you're both surgeons and you both have experiences and you as as your your co-surgeon i could see things that you don't and you could see things that i don't and we should be able to coach each other throughout the process right it's no different than an athletic performance surgery is an athletic performance right we're the only athletic performance that doesn't look back at our our at our last surgery or at our last performance critically. Right. Right. If you know, Sunday night, Monday morning, everyone is looking at the at the Sunday night video and saying, you know, you shouldn't have made that pass. Your foot is wrong. You know, you should have made that block.
1: That's a good point.
0: How are we gonna improve as surgeons to provide better care for our our uh, patients if we're not actually critically looking at ourselves or help or letting others critically look at us. So right. why shouldn't we coach each other or sh- why shouldn't we have a coach?
1: Right. No, very good point. You're right. Cause I know like, you know, we just watched the, we're Golden State Warriors fans. I've been watching NBA playoffs very carefully and you know, they're obviously can lose badly in one game. And then all of a sudden they look at the, you know, the uh, game films and, make adjustments and they can win or lose the next game. I mean, you're right. In professional sports, analyzing the um, films and moves all the time. And that's not done that commonly in surgery. <clears throat> and I, I agree, that's that's a good way to go. Well, Mark, thanks again. There's a few more topics we'll be covering here over the next year or so. But I really, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to talk to us. I know you're incredibly busy. And again, I'm excited about Mark. He's two years into a major job. He's got a whole career ahead of him to put these concepts into place. And Mark, he won't admit this yet, but he's already had a, already had a major impact on healthcare in Detroit just by setting a very high standard of surgical indications, surgical performance, teaching, having a good time. There are really different paradigm shifts for the culture of medicine in general anywhere in the country. And Mark is right at the head of the pack here. So I really, really appreciate your efforts and really excited to be able to talk to you.
0: Thank you very much for having me. And I couldn't have done this without your mentorship. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you, David and Mark, for a very insightful look inside the world of training of of residents and surgeons and the stresses they have to endure. I think that's something that the audience can definitely learn from. And I want to remind our listeners to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And
0: for more information, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control
1: Radio.